Support for the unofficial Shopify podcast comes from our friends at Bold Apps. If you've ever wanted to let other people sell in your store, but you don't want to warehouse the products, Bold has the app you need. It's called Marketplace. Your store could be a full marketplace or a hybrid where you sell products, but allow other merchants to sell on it as well. As a store owner, you set the percentage commission you want to take to let merchants sell on your site. Merchants get their own dashboard to create products, set their own shipping, and fulfill their own orders. You just collect the commission. If you want to try Marketplace out for free for two months, just go to ecommerce-bootcamp.com bold to get started today. Additional support for the unofficial Shopify podcast comes from SEO Manager. You know the benefit of SEO. The higher you rank in search engines, the more visitors your store will have. And more visitors means more sales, which means more money in your pocket. But how do you do that? That's where SEO Manager comes in. It helps Shopify store owners get found in search engines, and it's trusted by thousands of Shopify stores. It leads the market in both innovation and usability. And it's no wonder. SEO Manager adds an entire suite of tools to help attract new customers by fully optimizing your store. So here's a few of my favorites. It scans your site for SEO issues, offers keyword suggestions, adds structured data support, analyzes missing pages and redirects, and it even integrates with Kit, Shopify's personal marketing assistant. And that's not all. It does a whole bunch of more stuff. All of these things will help you to be easily found in Google and other search engines. And best of all, it's easy to get started. You can launch SEO Manager on your store in minutes, and their friendly support team is always on standby if you need help. Plus, as a special offer to our listeners, you can get SEO Manager right now for 10% off forever. Sign up at seomanager.com unofficial. That's seomanager.com unofficial. Hello and welcome back to the unofficial Shopify podcast. I'm your host, Kurt Elster, recording from EtherCycle headquarters outside Chicago. And it has been a while since we've had an entrepreneur on the show. We've had a lot of very, well, we've had some very bright people offering services or advice or teaching us something new in the last, say, what, four episodes? So I thought it was time we got to bring back an actual Shopify store owner and hear, hear another inspirational journey and hear entrepreneurial journey and try and figure out what uh, what we can learn from it. Always a good time. And it may be maybe a little warm in in uh, well, I don't know where you are, but in Chicago it's 90 degrees today. It's going to be 90 degrees all week. It is brutally hot. However, at least it's not it's not winter. It's not a Chicago February and it's 0 degrees and that nonsense. But if it were our guest today would have a product for you. A, it's 2017. Why does my jacket not heat itself? I want, so I saw Back to the Future. He had his jacket auto-drying. I think we can infer that in the winter, if they got auto-drying jackets, they have jackets that heat themselves in the winter. Why don't we have this stuff? Where are all these, these heated jackets, all these smart clothes? What's going on? Our guest today is Peter Nitzel, who is trying to change that with his brand, Kelvin Tech Styles. Get it? Tech Styles. Um, so, Peter, thank you for joining us. Hey, Kurt. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. My pleasure. So tell me, what is Kelvin Tech Styles? Yes, you're right in your introduction. I mean, we're a heated clothing company that's looking to, to provide fashion-forward heated clothing because it is something that's been around for a little bit. It's been ideated in the past, but... We really want to bring it into the, the latest century and, and advance the, 
not only the technical side of things, but the fashion side of things too. So it's, we see a, a huge opportunity as far as space living. I also myself live in Chicago, so it can be quite cold, but, but even in the summer now, you, you still sit by a campfire at night. So there, there's potential everywhere. Yeah, absolutely. So what, um, well, what's your, how many products you sell? What are your products? Yeah, so we mainly uh, produce products within the heated jacket space. Uh, but we also currently have heated gloves also. So we have men's and women's heated jackets and heated gloves. And we're looking to to expand that eventually. Obviously, uh, we see a future where, where you could have uh, heated or smart uh, textiles in, in any sort of form, shape, or function. So it's there's a, there's a lot to be done out there. Absolutely. Okay, so you've got... When did you get started with this? Yeah, so it's a, a company that's a, about a year old now. I'm uh, the co-founder. Me and my partner started this company about a year ago. And it's, it, it's come about because uh, we just see an incredible opportunity in this space. And it's really a pain point that we both have. I, I tend to, to get cold not only outside, but, but sitting at the office, sitting uh, around in my car. It's, it's one of those things where we have heated seats. We have Tesla cars that drive themselves but yet our jackets are, are still stuck in the past. So uh, there's the technologies out there and we're looking to, to advance things to a point where it's, it's even past where it is now, but just an, an incredible opportunity to not only have a, a product that keeps you warm, but, but almost have a mobile hub that uh, keeps you warm, but also our, our products charge your devices, your mobile devices, your phones, uh, and other objects that, that plug into USB. So. Right. It's, it's yeah, you do something very hub. clever with um, having the the jacket also have um, or be powered by a USB battery. It's a five volt battery, so then you can charge uh, your phone off it, which I think is is very cool. Um, you know, it's like if you go out skiing, a heated jacket is perfect because you can adjust how warm you are. Because when you're sitting around, the thing's hot, but then when you're skiing, you get warm. I'm trying to think of the use case here, but then you're out there, you're out there all day, and your phone battery dies. Well, you've got. Uh, you don't want to get stranded, so then you can also your heated jacket will double as a a phone charger. Just, it is a, it's really quite clever um, when you think about it. We think about the use case. Yep, exactly. I mean, you go to a sporting event and it might be warm at first. Even these these first spring October football games, maybe, and you sit down in the shade, gets a little cold. You can heat up, but uh, even in more, sometimes more importantly, your phone's low on batteries, like we all have. Just plug it into your jacket, no problem. So it's. It's a, a bit of a, a way to, to be mobile all the time. I think what I, I like about it is it expands the, um, the temperature ranges in which you can wear one jacket. Like I've got, for really bad weather, I've got a really heavy winter jacket, and then I've got uh, several. <laughs> I've got like a really <laughs> very light jacket and a leather jacket, and then another. I have too many jackets is my point. Um, and then like the really warm one is bulky, and I... I look like uh, like I'm heading to the Arctic in this this parka, whereas your jacket's very it's it's svelte it's minimalist it's cool it's not this big puffy crazy thing, but once it's in you can wear it and you know it's good down to I don't know what temperature but then once heated okay now you've extended it even further and then going back the other way so especially if you're in a climate say like um, you know uh, or a climate where the the temperature range changes wildly over throughout the day you know like in San Francisco, you could get, wake up in the morning and it's 40 degrees, and then by noon it's 70 um, in December. It's a little crazy. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's nice exactly. to have to extend that. Um, so where did, okay, 
I, I love the idea. I'm sold on it. I've seen it in person. It's very cool. Where did, how did you get the idea? When did you say, this is what I want to do? Yeah, so the idea came about. I have a, a background in, in engineering and a master's of business. And while I was in business school, we kind of put together a, 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 this company that, that we had thought of the idea of, okay, let's do heated clothing. Um, it's no secret that there is uh, heated clothing has been around. Our, our grandmas had heated blankets. So it's, I would say that the idea isn't at all revolutionary. It's, it's more about the application of the idea. And that's how it always is when we talk about these incremental innovations. So we had, we had thought, okay, there's, there's these other heated clothes, uh, but they all, they are mostly in the, the power sports industries. If you, if you have a friend who rides snowmobiles or, or something like that, it's, it's very much geared towards that or the construction industries. And we thought, well, this is fantastic, but, but it's not really the prettiest jacket. So uh, we would love to have this be, be a jacket that we could either uh, wear on our commute to work or wear, like you say, walking around, walking around the city for a day. Um, so it's, it's another use of an application. But after digging into it, I also realized, well, the technology is, is, is also a bit outdated. Um, it's still using some outdated tech. So there's an incredible opportunity on that side of things too. And that's kind of how the business got started. So you were looking for an idea. Mm -hmm. Yes, I, I was looking for an idea in an entrepreneurial class. Um, but that was actually about five years ago. So there was some time in between where, and, and I guess a, a bit of advice is my initial, I come from more of a corporate background. So I'm sitting here thinking, okay, it's going to be uh, it, it might be a million or two that I need to fund any sort of business like that. And that's where I think um, some of the, the feedback and the, the takeaway comes is as I matured and in my understanding of, of what can be done um, as far as businesses go, I realized the concept of frugal innovation and, and you don't really need these, these high powered budgets. This is actually uh, currently a bootstrapped business. So we rely on, on the concept of frugal innovation to allow us to, to source our products and create partnerships with other people who are also interested in expanding in spaces like this. So uh, there's an opportunity to, to start a company out of, out of nothing. It's, it's so, quite great. All right. I've got, now I've got multiple follow-up questions. Yeah. So first, I, I like this idea, this concept of frugal innovation. Tell me about what that is. What, it, what does it mean to you? Exactly. So frugal innovation is, is a concept that's, that's been around for not too long, but it's the idea that if you give someone too many resources, they're not going to be as innovative as they would be with a limited amount of resources. So uh, the concept is, is like someone in a developing country, if they don't have a lot of resources, they can, they can innovate considerably and, and do things that, that would be beyond someone in a, in a developed nation's wildest dreams. And you say, how did you, you come up with that? You didn't have A, B, or C in these. But really, these, these constraints are, are somewhat fictional. You have to realize that uh, there's ways to get around these boundaries. You just have to think a bit out of the box and, and think differently. And that's what frugal innovation allows you to do is, is given certain constraints, there's a way to play the hand that you're dealt in a, in a certain way. There's always a way to do it. So I love this idea. <laughs> what, uh, can you think of an example of, a, um, of a, a constraint you thought you had but didn't? So initially you just assumed you needed you know, a million dollars to build a, to build a business. Why did you think you needed a million dollars? And then how did you realize, Hey, I don't actually need that. Exactly. And I think the main constraint 
that I thought of then and, and that a lot of people think of these days is in that manufacturing space is, okay, there's these giants of clothing. When you think of North Face, you think of Patagonia and they have these extensive manufacturing networks and, okay, how, how can I develop something like that? How can I create, um, maybe I don't need millions of jackets, but just a few jackets and, and who's going to want to work with me? Well, well, there's a couple of options. You can go locally in the U.S. and you can have a bunch of custom jackets made. And, and that can be quite expensive if, if you have uh, one-of-a-kind jackets made and those type of things. It's, it's really not a way to produce a, uh, a product that's, that you can bring to market in a mass quantity. But if you, if you look at, at ways that you can easily source jackets and, and products, textiles, different things, uh, throughout the globe, and what we, the, one of our biggest uh, discoveries was on the platform of Alibaba and utilizing Alibaba to source jackets and realizing how easy it is. Uh, you don't need a, a million dollar budget to have a, uh, a, an, a head of operations or manufacturing rep that's living in China or something like that. You can do a lot of these things online and people are very happy and willing to work with you. So how did... So once you had you had the idea uh, for the jacket, which you know, by your own admission you're not this is not an entirely original idea, but you're saying okay we need a heated jacket that isn't purely utilitarian that looks good um, and that is using better isn't using out of date technology and by out of date technology mm-hmm. I think you're referring to um, batteries right. Exactly. Batteries okay. and, and the heating elements, the, the actual elements. Okay. Uh, resistance wires that heat up. Yes. So you knew you said, all right, the fact that these products exist out there tells us that it um, validates it, but we can make it better and we can bring it to a different audience. We can bring it you know, uh, to a more mass audience outside of, say, like, your, you know, power sports where you're on a snowmobile where certainly you want heated gloves um, or uh, construction workers where they have to be outside for hours. Mm-hmm. I like it. How did you, what did you, once you had the idea and you're, all right, now we can improve on it. How did you go, where did you go from there? Where did, did you go immediately to sourcing? Did you do anything to try to validate the idea? Did you just jump right into it? Yeah, I, I would say a little bit of all of the above because there's a lot of different ways to, to go about starting a business. And for me, because I have that engineering background, I really rely on the product. For me, it's about having a good product first. I know there's there's other ways to go about it. Some other companies have good marketing first. And, and that's just not my type of strategy. I didn't have a Kickstarter. And, and I think that's that's a good business model, but it, I guess, just wasn't for me. I didn't, I didn't want to go and get the marketing and have the Kickstarter and then say, okay, well, now how are we going to develop this product? Uh, so for me, I, I concentrated more on Let's build a good product. It's kind of the, if, if you build it, they will come. <laughs> um, so that's what, what I looked at. Okay, let's, let's start seeing how we can source and design this product. And, and in the beginning, it's, it's, it's a bit of a shotgun approach. You just you go on Alibaba. It's, it's, it's just as simple as going on Alibaba, searching companies, going on Google, searching manufacturers, giving them a call, sending them an email, just trying to find someone who will talk with you and then getting samples, asking them for, okay, can you send me a sample? And, and you just start from there. Then you look at your samples and say, okay, what, what can we do better than this? How can we iterate on, on what has been done already? So you went out looking for people who are already manufacturing heated jackets 
specifically or like the individual pieces, say exactly. battery, heating element, textile? Mm -hmm. Yeah, because for a lot of products, unless you're designing something completely revolutionary, there's going to be something that's similar out there. And China's an incredibly manufacturing hub. And it, I've, I've been to China a couple of times, and that was even before I started doing this. But there's things beyond your wildest dreams that exist, and, and they're similar. So you can find things that, that are similar that are being manufactured and say, okay, well, this is, this is close, but, but let's iterate it a little bit. Let's work with the, the manufacturers and, and see what they can do. See if, see if we can push it to where you, where you get that minimally viable product. And then that's what we did. We got it to a point of, of that and, and, and then sold it from there. And, and now we're expanding. So you went on, you started with, um, you had the idea, and you said, all right, let's, let's see what's out there. You started sourcing uh, the products from, by asking for samples from existing manufacturers you found on Alibaba. Then when you got them, you had them in your hands, you knew, okay, here's what's wrong with this, here's how this could be improved. Then you went back to the manufacturer and said, all right, we like what you have, but here's, you know, can you improve it? Here's what we need to do with this. So essentially, you're a little bit of outsourcing your product development and pushing it onto the Chinese manufacturer's plate. A little bit, yeah, because you do have to rely on the manufacturers. They are they are quite smart. I think often they're they're underestimated. But where you do have to be very careful is to to be very directed on on what you change and how it's changed. Because if you leave if you leave it up to to them to guess. And to say, okay, well, I'd like it like this, but, but you need to say, I need it this way. So if, if, if you like maybe the cut of a jacket or the, or the way the jacket's heated, but, but you want it a little bit different, you need to actually give, maybe give them a sample of what's different, give them a, a drawing of what's different, but you need to make it very clear because there, there is a bit of that language barrier. And uh, so there can be some confusion between. So a lot of it is just, learning how to, to communicate in a, a simple but direct way. Uh, but you really, you are personally doing a lot of the, the R&D and engineering, but, it, but you can rely on them a bit, yeah, also. So it's, it's, it's a, a bit of a partnership. Okay, so it's a matter of finding, did you go through multiple, part, multiple manufacturing partners? Did you get lucky and find one right away? Um, how mm. difficult was it to find the right manufacturing partner? Yeah, exactly, and I, I, I think it's different for everyone. I would say for us, we're still looking, we're always looking for partnerships. And, and I think it's once you start looking into the manufacturing space, one thing that we realize is there's a couple different types of manufacturers. Some manufacturers just develop or just manufacture one product very well. So they're more of a, a line organization as, as far as operations go. They just they do a lot of one type of jacket or one type of clothing item. And then there's other manufacturers that do more of a, a batch process where they're more of a custom manufacturing house. So I think after you find some manufacturers, then you have to realize what type of manufacturer are they? And that's kind of the journey that we're going on. And, and we're, we're looking for um, not only the line manufacturers, but also some of the batch manufacturers, because you never want to have just one manufacturer in case something were to occur. You want to have multiple sourcing options, but for us, we're always looking to, to partner with a company that, that has interesting products and is willing to, to develop more of a partnership and, and work with us to, to push this technology along. 
I like that approach. No, it makes a lot of sense. Um, all right, so once you had, you, know, you figured that, that partner out, and you went back and forth with them to develop this better product, I assume at that point then they're sending you uh, like incremental samples of the product? Yes, exactly, exactly. So, so sometimes they, they mail the samples, and, and mailing samples can take a bit of time. Other times uh, you can have them take pictures of the samples, or uh, describe them to you. There's a several different methods to iterate and, and advance your product. Personally, I like to, to have the product and feel it. Sometimes the pictures can, can be difficult. And for me, I'm just more of a, a visual person, so to have it and, and to feel the fabric and, and feel how warm it is. I can do some testing on it myself to things like that we try to maximize are the heat to weight ratio, so we want the jacket to be very light, but be very warm at the same time. So some of that testing we need to do personally. So it's, it's exactly that. You would have uh, many different iterations of products sent to you. And, and then you can also send stuff to them. So if you, you find something that, that you like, whether it be maybe another clothing item or, or something on the jacket that you, uh, or, or the product that you've taken to a tailor or altered or something, then you can send it back to them. So it's, it's definitely a um, like a traditional design house that, that you would do it, but you're just doing it globally. It's kind of amazing that it it, it works that way. That it, yeah. I mean, when you, I'm always so impressed and intimidated. I think by the manufacturing process with physical goods, like mm -hmm. when um, you know, when I when I think about my own e-commerce experience for the stuff I sell personally, it's always info products, right? It's always things I can make myself and then deliver with a minimum of fuss because I'm intimidated by this, by the whole, the entire prospect of like, wow, you made a physical thing. And I always have such awe um, for entrepreneurs. I like that you took the contrarian approach of everyone. It's like, well, go on Kickstarter. And I sort of like not criticizing it. I love Kickstarter, of course. Um, but you said, no, I want to get the product right as opposed to pitch a whole bunch of people on the idea and try to raise money for something that may never show up. And I've certainly been in my share of Kickstarters where I never got my product. Mm -hmm. I'm looking at you, <laughs> Bike Spike. Um, the, so uh, what was I going to say? No, I, I think that's really cool. Looking, how long was that process from finding, like reaching at the initial reaching out to a manufacturer to you got, you know, a, a pallet of jackets showed up at your door. Yeah, and, and I would say it's the process is going to get quicker. Our, our first year, the process, uh, which, which amazed me a, a bit, is, is a bit of how long it takes. So the first year, it took about a half a year um, to get our, our first minimally viable product. And, and that included things like customs, things you never take into account that amount of time that that your product's going to sit in customs, especially for us where we have lithium-ion batteries. Um, How long did so, you have to have the stuff sit in customs? It, it, for us, it was, I would say, about a month. It varies, though. It's my understanding that it, it, it can vary, and it's, it's difficult to actually quantify the amount of time. So what we've started to do is, is outsource that a bit and work with customs brokers who will expedite the process. So there is ways to get around a lot of this, but but a lot of it is just failing first. I mean, uh, like any company, you, you just have to try and fail. And and so that's what we did. It took about half of a year, but we're working on it and hopefully getting better. Uh, to, to tell you how, how how much we kind of failed is our, our first jackets were delivered about December 15th last year, which is well into the season and, and right. well much later than we would have ever liked. 
And yet you still, you know, they still sold. They sold on Amazon. Um, mm-hmm. You ran through most of your stock. And now you're looking at, all right, from what you learned from the first batch, you're going back, revisiting it, and redesigning for the following year. Exactly. And, and I started out thinking, oh, well, I need to have this data. I tend to be an analytical person, so I'd like to, so what kind of products are we going to sell or who are we going to sell them to? And, and you just have no information when you start. But, but that's, that's the just hardest how, part. You know, it is. And, but that's just the way it is. You just have to shoot in the dark and, and go with it. And then and, once you had it, so you made it to, all right, this is what we think it should be. Then you sold yep. it. And you sold it, you got it into people's hands, and then they came back to you and said, like, you looked at the reviews, or they gave you feedback, or you looked at customer complaints and said, all right, this is what we need to change about this. Is that, is that roughly what happened? That's, that's exactly it. And I, I personally do our customer service and, and along with my partner. So it's, it's something that not a lot of companies do. Some companies outsource that. That, to me, is, is personally important that we do it in-house so that I can understand exactly on a daily basis. I'm talking with our customers, understanding, okay, what do you like? What do you, what do you not like? And then we can iterate our products based on that. So to me, that's, that's really important. Uh, whether, whatever customer service platform you pick is, is fine, I think, but, but I like having it in house and, and I've gotten a lot of feedback and it's, it's amazing how, how simple it is. All you have to do is send an email to someone, a personal email. And, and these days in, in, in the days of automation, um, for me, it's something that I think is incredibly useful to to understand customer preferences, and then and then you R and D your product based on that. It's it's almost quite it, it feels simple, and that oh, it's it's obvious. Okay, the customers are I've I've got a lot of responses on this issue. Then then let's change it in this way. You know, it's 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 not uh, rocket science or anything. No, you're absolutely right. Um, yeah, even like looking at say um, so we've got two Shopify apps, Crowdfunder and Wall Supplies last. And mm-hmm. once I had Crowdfunder running for about uh, geez, eight months, then I only then did I push the and like I'm I didn't I wasn't seeing new customer problems, just this regular stuff. Um, that's when I outsourced customer support for it, and then I mean, like big stuff still escalates to me. So now we've got the second app out. I would love to outsource the support, but I'm not going to do it for at least three months because I want that initial feedback. Yeah. So it exactly. turns into a flywheel where you've got, um, you know, you start the idea and get it out there. People start buying, and then they give you feedback, and then use that feedback to come out with next year's product, and then mm-hmm. you sell even more, and there's more word of mouth, and then you ask them, hey, what would you think of that one? And then that informs the year after that, and you just keep that process going, and now you're stacking the bricks and building, you know, just rapidly building this business. Um, I don't think you know, that is. I think that is a a different and much uh, a smarter and less risky approach than, hey, let's just go, we've never built this product, let's go raise you know, several million dollars through investment or crowdfunding, and then hope we could, with zero manufacturing experience, hope we could figure it out. And I think that's where, when we see, you know, when we see Kickstarter projects that fail, it's not that anyone wanted to rip anybody off, it's that they didn't have the experience and they ended up in over their heads. I mean, even like I've got a fidget cube on my desk, that thing raised millions and then took what, like almost a year for them to manufacture because it was, they hadn't done it before. It was very difficult. Um, or you went with the, the opposite safer approach, I think. Yep, exactly. Yeah. We were trying to learn and, and fail on our own money. <laughs> but, um, but with that said, I, 
uh, as far as the financial side of things, uh, it's it's amazing what you can do. Like I like I was talking before on a, on a frugal budget. As long as you maintain your cash flow and and are just conscious of of your expenses, a lot of the manufacturers will work with you uh, for payments of of certain types. You can get uh, jacket. You don't need to have thousands and thousands of jackets shipped right away. You can have them shipped at at different incremental periods or, or clothing items. So it's you can very much manage your cash flow on a budget. And and for us, I think that that keeps us competitive and it keeps us hungry. Whereas, like you say, if, if you're just given a couple million dollars, it's it's easy just to, to sit back and say, oh, well, okay, then, then I can do things at my leisure. Whereas for us, it's it's more of a necessity and it, it really pushes us and drives us to to get it right. So again, yeah, you've got that, um, the limitate, you know, having these, uh, these constraints of, well, we don't have, you know, we're not spending other people's money. We're spending our own money. That's a constraint. It gets you with very, it gets you to have skin in the game and gets you Mm -hmm. invested into the success of the product on a totally different level, I think. Totally. Now that said, now that you have the experience and you validated the idea and you're building the brand and you're confident, launching a second version of the brand that's the kind of thing that I think might be smart for Kickstarter, where like the risk of being able to manufacture it is completely gone because you've knocked all that stuff out. And if you've got a new idea, it would you could launch it on Kickstarter as essentially a pre-order campaign where you knew you were going to make it one way or the other, but you're putting it out there and saying, hey, you know, to the widest audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, then it becomes a, a very good marketing tool then. And, and I agree with you fully. Yep. That's right. Yeah, I think crowdfunding... Um, I think it's better for marketing more than um, than product development because you can you can get in over your head uh, very quickly. But it's a good problem to have. Okay, so you've got uh, well, geez, any that was informative. I mean, we kind of walked through like, hey, here's how you got the process, uh, the product manufactured. Then once you had this thing sitting on your doorstep, how did you? And it showed up late in the season. How did you go about selling it? I know you sold out of most of the product the initial year's run, right? Yeah, exactly. We were very fortunate. We sold out of uh, the the popular sizes of our woman's jacket in in about a week's time. So Whoa. the holiday season was was incredibly and that was even with launching us. it in the end of December. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So so we had at least some time to put together our support network to put together some of the marketing, and and even as far as marketing, we didn't have the team together at that point. I would say at, at this point, I, I now have a, a much better team put together. But once we got those those jackets on our doorstep, um, we just, we got to work right away. It's one of those things where you start taking orders, you start shipping. And and we actually did our shipping our, ourselves the first year. So we've we've since um, pushed that off to to a, a drop shipper. But, but you just have to move and, and you just have to take it one day at a time, I would say. So how do you, um, what was the, the marketing plan? How did the stuff showed up? How did you get people to even know about it? How did people find you? Yeah, so Amazon was a, was a great tool for us. It was important that we got on, on the front page of Amazon when you searched heated clothing. So we, we looked at different methods to do that, whether it was soliciting people for reviews or, or just asking if you liked the product. It, it would be great if you you'd give us a review, but... But also looking and reading and trying to understand, okay, how do you rank on Amazon? How does that work? Things like that. But then we also had our website up and running and and make sure that we had some promo material that we had been 
pushing through Facebook before then to generate a little bit of buzz. But we're not talking about any sort of extensive launch campaign or anything like that. I think for us, it was talking with family and friends and your network and anyone anyone that you know uh, that might want to buy a jacket, but not necessarily selling them. I'm, I'm not someone who likes to sell my friends on anything, but, but you know, putting that that bird in their ear and saying, hey, uh, it's the holiday period, I think, is good to launch any sort of product because everyone is looking for, for a gift to buy for their loved ones. So uh, that right. definitely well, helps Well, and I think in out. general, it's more, it's easier, it's easier to get people to buy in, you know, end of November, December, um, when they're in that, really like in this, this wallet out, ready to buy mood versus January when the credit card bill shows up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah, so that's actually a good idea. I always thought, hey, don't launch stuff during the holidays because you'll get overrun by sales. But in your case, it worked. You sold this, well, the women's jacket, you sold it out in a week. Yeah, I think it worked perfectly. And and our men's jacket actually sold slower because we weren't ranked as high on Amazon. So that that was a, a great differentiator for us, for the women's side of things. And then our men's, we started to get better ranking and, and better SEO after that. So that really helped us up out in the long run. Mm-hmm. All right, so wrapping it up, the last thing I'm, I'm curious about, because I've never tried this, is how do you, um, I've never tried to optimize a, an Amazon listing for ranking. It sounds like it was, um, predominant, like number of reviews and quality of reviews certainly helps. They, I'm sure they want to show the least risky, best product first. Um, are there any other tips in there uh, that you, you came about that would be helpful for how do we get something up the, the ranking in Amazon? Yeah, and I guess I'm, I'm no Amazon expert by any means. For, for us, it was just simple as looking at what, what listings do well. And, and looking at those listings, uh, I didn't sit there and read a 200-page book on Amazon or anything like that. But I just looked at what, what listings do well um, and how are they ranking, how were their listings laid out, what type of, of words were they using. So you can kind of use words in, in your Amazon SEO. Uh, there's, there's a way to, to put words in there that, that allow them to help for ranking. Another good way is, of course, Google AdWords. And just to understand, you go on Google AdWords and understand what people are searching as, as, as far as um, your clothing items, so heated jackets, heated clothing for us, uh, different things like that. And then you can kind of take those words and put those words in Amazon. And, and that will help with the ranking. But I would say for us, it was not to be discouraged right away that it takes time. A lot of it is organic uh, and you just have to have faith in, in your content and, and monitor the customer service and, and ask them, how did you find us? You know, was, it, was it through Amazon, things like that? So a bit organic, a bit of, of just looking at what works from other uh, competitors. Mm-hmm. I like that approach. I mean, I do a similar thing when writing, for working with a new store, um, I will often look up if they sell on Amazon. I'll go through the reviews to look, see, hey, how do people talk about the product? What are some common phrases that they use? What are common pains they have that they experienced? And then use that to hold up the mirror because if that, you know, the most engaged active people are the ones who write the reviews. Um, but they're probably, like, however they're consistently talking about it is probably how people are searching for it. Um, so mm-hmm. it really doesn't matter what, I, what the, the product owner thinks like this is what it should be called and this is what it should do. If your customers talk about it differently, that's how you got to talk about it. So it sounds like you know it's just a in your case it's a little bit of legwork, um, but really you're building this this very cool business. And then when you talk about it, it makes it <laughs> you really make it sound like a very easy, straightforward process. 
Yeah, you just have to you just have to try. I think I think it can be easy and straightforward. It's just about putting in the time and and being patient. A lot of it is patience and and it's okay if if things don't work at first. Just try something different, see if that works and and those things that work just continue with them. It's it's really not that difficult. It, it just takes time is is that part of it. And you have to you have to not you have to enjoy the process. So every every morning when you wake up, uh, enjoy checking your customer service line or going on Amazon and seeing what your ranking is. Some of that is fun and, and just getting to do it, especially for the first time, is, is it can be very energetic when you when you start shipping out a lot of that first product. So it, it is a fun process. I, I, I love that idea. I want to I want to end it there on saying you have to love the process. Like if it's if it's a chore, you're not it, and it's a struggle and it's a business you own, why are you doing it? If, it, if, you lo- if it's your business, you should love it. You should be able to feel good about in getting up and investing that time in it. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's great advice. Peter, where could people go to learn more about you? Yes, if, if you could go, please go to www.kelvintextiles.com. That's our, our website and, and we're currently redoing our website right now. As of right now, we have a lot of our our uh, products from last year up, but we're working hard to develop products for this next year. But but I hope you check it out and please send me a message. Uh, if you feel free to send me a message at petern at kelvintextiles.com. That's textiles as in T-E-C-H-S-T-Y-L-E-S. I'd appreciate any sort of message. Very good. Thank you for the time. I appreciate it, Peter. Thank you, Kurt. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. And that's it for us today at the Unofficial Shopify Podcast. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode, so join our Facebook group. Just search for the Unofficial Shopify Podcast. You'll find our insiders group and talk to us. Or sign up for my newsletter at kurtelster.com. Shoot me an email. I am happy to respond to any thoughtful inquiry. Either way, you'll be notified whenever a new episode goes live. Of course, if you'd like to work with me on your next project, you can apply at ethercycle.com. And as always, thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week. Our program was produced today by Paul Rita. The unofficial Shopify podcast is distributed by EtherCycle LLC. We'll be back next week with more value bombs for Shopify store owners. If you're looking for more high quality and actionable advice on learning the business of e-commerce, join thousands of other Shopify store owners on our totally free newsletter at eCommerce Bootcamp. That's eCommerce-Bootcamp.com.